They were all what? So there was an inspiration going on. Maybe if, if we're not going to be able to go to the tofu, we'll go to the temple. Uh, or maybe it's because it's getting ready to close for a couple of weeks. Well, that's possible too. Or maybe the spirit is just rushing through and it's just raising the level of it. Yeah. They went to timeout and then went to the temple? Or before. Or before? Oh, okay. There you go. I knew they were there. See, see, see again, I'll tell you where I'm holding my breath a little bit. That, that, that's a good thing. We always held our breath. And I, I, told, I told you this before when I was when I had a practice in, in Utah. Our, our, our least, our most worrisome times were right after general conference, right after education week. Three times a year. Whoa! It's like we'll go back to all the things that we're not doing. Kind of thing. It's not him. Yeah. Uh, I think Mary Ellen Evans said she um, Googled something and she calls it the Google and Thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mary Ellen Evans is talking about the fact that you can access the Google and Thumb yes. uh, online. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you more and more often, if I have a question about something, I get lost on LDS.org. I try to find answers, and I'll just, I'll just type in part of a scripture or something like that in Google, and there it is. It just, in fact, it happened to me, we were writing a little gospel doctrine yesterday, and there was something I was, somebody asked me a question, because we weren't paying as good attention as we should have, and somebody asked me a question, and I just went, hold on a sec, pull up the iPad. Oh, Okay. And it's a good thing she didn't bust me right at that moment with trying to have me read something because I was Google. <laughs> the Google and Thumb, I like that. We'll, we'll thank Mary Ellen Edmonds for that one. Okay? Anything else you learned over the weekend? Good stuff. That didn't have to be a tofu. All right. Well, good. Well, as we get going um, today, uh, a couple of things I wanted to point out. I like this one. I'm not always a big fan of Doonesbury's politics, but I just thought this was pretty good. <coughs> Sun's moving out. So, you're taking your trophy. Yeah. I know they're just cheap dust catcher, but I'm kind of attached to them. It was so interesting growing up in the middle of the self-esteem movement. Most improved trier, second grade. <laughs> yeah, I tied with the rest of the class. <laughs> oh boy, I tell you what, the the uh, backlash we're facing off of that little Hummer, uh, in terms of will just increase children's self-esteem, they'll achieve more. And after all of this. Like in the state of California, all of the studies that came back and all the money that was spent on self-esteem programs for these kids would achieve more. Do you know what their, their bottom line decision was? Achievement builds self-esteem. Not the other way around. 
Teach them to achieve, and they'll have good self-esteem. <laughs> think how many people were going, well, we knew that one already, duh. Um, okay, and then this one. Um, uh, I think a number of you uh, know that uh, the church has been uh, got an open house going currently. I'm interested in watching... I was watching carefully over the weekend where the tornadoes were going because it was like right in the middle of that. But we're, we're uh, doing our open house with what temple? Kansas City. Kansas City. Okay. I read... I have to admit, as I was... It, there's no way for us to read church history and the events that occurred in Missouri, both in terms of building up Zion in uh, Jackson County, being tossed out of Jackson County, landing in Clay County, springing across the river in the middle of the night, in the middle of, the, of a rainstorm to escape the mobs, landing soaked and wet and with nothing, with only the clothing on their back on the, in Clay County, and then have a temple show up there, and then looking, and then if you read through, and my family was part of those that lost property in Missouri, and then having Joseph take, had get petitions from everybody, to then, one of the first things he did after he got out of Liberty Jail was then to take all of these massive petitions and take them to Washington, D.C., get an audience with the president, lay the, lay the petitions at their feet, to say this is what happened to us in Missouri and have the president say your cause is just, we can do nothing for you. The Constitution doesn't protect you. This is a state thing. And they say the state is not doing squat here. In fact, the state and the governor was part of the big landowners of Jackson County that drove us out in 1833. Sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. Okay? So I, I have that in the, in the back of my head. And I, I have to tell you, I remember visiting, uh, going up to Liberty Jail, and I remember how I felt as I was driving at, down the highway and, and saw the sign, Welcome to Jackson County. And part of me went. <laughs> I know what happened in Jackson County. I know what's coming in Jackson County and New Jerusalem. I get all of that, but still. Okay, so this this was actually kind of an emotional deal for me. This is what was issued this week. Very close. Yeah. Okay, uh, elders, you, you, can you guys read that? Okay, you want to read that? This is a, I want you to start at the top. Whereas the no, all the way to the top. Office of the Governor, State of Missouri, Proclamation. Whereas the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints maintains an important and historic place in the State of Missouri. Okay, let that one sink in for a second. In, in, an important and historic. Yeah. In fact, I've talked to people, anybody grow up in Missouri? Don't they talk about the, the Mormon War in, in Missouri history? And also, someone was telling oh, me about it's it. It's in all of our schools. But, the, but the, it's an interesting slant, though, in, in terms of how that... It, it got better, but it used to be very slant. Yeah, okay. I remember actually in junior high taking pen and marking for 
Wow. Okay. So, so keep going. Next one. And whereas the Constitution of the United States of America. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, we're going to start off talking about the Constitution. Oh, okay. And the Constitution of the State of Missouri hold in the highest regard and protect to the greatest degree possible the natural and indefeasible right of all men and women to worship according to the dictates of their own consciences and... This is Missouri saying this. Somewhere Governor Boggs is spinning like a lathe in his grave. And, and I, I, I almost picture Joseph on the other side of the veil going, What? <laughs> Okay, keep going. And whereas today the Latter-day Saints population in Missouri exceeds 66,000 members, and members of the church are involved... Now, now listen closely to this. ...and productive contributors to the communities where they live and work. And whereas the 2012 construction and dedication of the Kansas City, Missouri Temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in western Missouri is a significant and historic occasion. You think? Okay, and... Whereas the listen to the, and listen to this one. Oh my gosh. The Kansas City, Missouri Temple stands as a shadow by day and a pillar by night to all who are defenders of religious liberty and tolerance and further witnesses that the rights of faith and conviction are alive in the great state of Missouri. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> For anybody who studies church history, that is off the charts. When was this published? This week. Yeah. I, like I said, I just don't even. If you study church history, I don't know what to do with this. I don't. Yeah, well, when you're going to talk about the Constitution, and you just have to have read what Joseph was saying always about, that the Constitution is protecting our rights, and they're saying, no, you don't. In fact, we're going to write the extermination order, and they have to be treated as enemies and kicked out of here. It has been that long since it was rescinded. And it was only rescinded, really, just within the last... It was in the 70s. Yeah. And it was rescinded again just within the last decade. And rescinded again. So, like I said, I I don't know. Rick, any response to this? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I was baptized the year it was rescinded, so I could have been shot walking to grade school. I don't know if it would have held up legally. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the woman in my ward was speaking um, in the news society yesterday. She said that she went to the dedication. Of this, and she said that the governor was there, and he spoke, and he said that the spirit of God is in this building, and he said, "But it doesn't surprise me to see this right now from what she recalled, what he said, and how he felt inside the temple." Yeah, see, to me, in some ways, you talk about the spiritual barriers here. I almost look at this like when the Berlin Wall fell, and you see, think about the saints. If my family is hiding out all winter long trying to eat what little bit of corn they've been able to gather in a family and taking them in, waiting for the spring when it's safe for them to kind of sneak out of Missouri and hope they're not killed on their way back to Illinois. 
after the fall of Far West and everything that happened in Far West. This is, this is like uh, such a massive divide. And to be able to use this language about historic and the and constitutional rights, and this is a pillar of life. I just don't even know. Rick? Oh, I was going to say, when Governor Bond rescinded that in 76, there was a big lot there. And I remember going up with Physic and a little kid. And then it was in the early 90s when they had this. It was basically a re-up of the same thing. And they invited the church in the area and all the states. We had thousands and thousands of members went to the Capitol. And they had for probably five to ten years after that, even when I was taking my kids back to the Capitol, a whole uh, section that was dedicated to the church and the Capitol was uh, Mormon history and a lot of the stuff they had. Wow. Very well done. But Governor Nixon is up for re-election, so that's part of this. He does have 66,000. Yeah, he, right now he's got my vote. I don't even know what party he's in. Uh, I just think it's, it's just amazing you watch the Lord moving so the opportunities are there and like I told you last week I'm still I'm still a little bit I just think it's hilarious how the church has not really said a ton about this and, and the fact even the way that it was announced you know the, the hey we have a temple in Philadelphia and Kansas City and Rome Italy Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I just thought this was wow. Alright. The wording is almost like it was written by a woman. I wonder if if uh, state president wrote it and then he signed off on it. I don't know. <laughs> he says he oh he he just what he says it's almost like a Mormon wrote it. That's exactly. uh, it, was either, it was either written by one of us or it was, he was really inspired, which for a governor of Missouri is off the charts. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's it. All right. Okay, let, let me begin today with a bit of an apology, if I can. Um, you're going to think, for at least a portion of this lesson, that you fell into the wrong... Uh, discussion uh, because uh, you're going to hear more of my counselor side come out. Uh, you're going to think you fell into a self improvement seminar or a divine, a divine, divine improvement seminar, not self improvement. So, and, and some of you have heard bits and pieces of this, so I'll apologize for that as well. But repetition is really good. Okay, we have you on the same page. Okay, good. All right. I want to start with this quote by Joseph Smith. A man must have the discerning spirits before, and listen to his wording, can drag, speaking of Missouri, before he can drag into daylight the hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all its soul-destroying, diabolical, and horrid colors. For nothing is... A greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the Spirit of God. You ever been to General Conference? Anybody seen anybody with like microphones and placards? Uh, 
influence of the false spirit, think they're under the spirit of God. Thousands have felt the influence of its terrible power and baneful effects. Uh, long pilgrimages have been undertaken, penances endured, pain, misery, and ruin have followed in their train. Nations have been convulsed, kingdoms overthrown, provinces laid waste, and blood, carnage, and desolation are habiliments in which have been clothed. In other words, all of these were done under the guise of doing it for God and trying to do that and believing that they were righteous and inspired to do that. And I think and it's, it's one thing when it happens with other religions, it's another thing when this was all done with a cross on the front of the shield. When you go back to the Inquisition and the Crusades and everything that happened in the name of God. Okay. Uh-huh. Alright. So that said, the question is. How about us? Do we ever do things thinking and, and, and do it under the wrong spirit? Well, no. We're Latter-day Saints. We were baptized. We were given the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's no way we would ever do that. Oh, contrary. Okay. So indulge me for just a minute. We're going to talk about healing from earth saints. 101. I've mentioned in other settings that uh, one of the things that I used to do in shrink school is that we would sit with other of us and try and figure out why do people do what they do? You know, how come how come good people do dumb stuff? How come dumb people do dumb stuff? But especially how good people do dumb stuff who should know better than do dumb stuff. How do I do? How come I do dumb stuff and I do better? Okay, you know we just kind of how come? Well, therein lies the story. Why do we do anything we do? First of all, it comes on the basis of uh, and the scriptures are right when it says, "As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he." Well, it begins with a thought, and it's not just a thought about what we need to do. It's also a thought that says who we are. It's a conceptualization of this is me. It's like wearing a brand on our brain. This is who I am. Who are you? This is me. Not just something I do, but who I am. These thoughts obviously then are going to drive what we feel about ourselves and about others. And those emotions then drive what? Our actions, absolutely. And our choices, what we choose to do. We have a variety of options. Uh, I mentioned that a, a couple of weeks ago, having this conversation with a teenager, where, where we're going through the process and said, okay, you were here and you could make a good decision or a stupid decision. You chose stupid. <laughs> And then from there, then you could have made a better decision but, or a dumber decision. You chose stupid again. You know, we're trying, we're trying to look at all of the series of dumb decisions. And Okay? Now, 
Some, I'm gonna, these are these beliefs that we come to feel about ourselves are deceptions. They're not true. And and a lot of times this is about the time clients will look at me and say, "Well, how do you know that they're not true?" How do you know when you're listening to a deception and it's a lie about yourself? How do you know? It's going to tell you to do good. Well, it's going to tell you to do good. It'll tell you to do bad. Don't you feel bad or depression or anger or negative thoughts? Yeah, in other words, walk it through. If I'm listening to a deception about me and it's a lie, what are you going to feel? And then, let's track it through, and then, what are you going to do? You're going to choose poorly, right? Even if choosing poorly is simply not doing things to take care of you. Okay? Now, let me give you an example. Uh, what if you thought, you decided, you felt like, that you were some kind of a loser or that you were broken. Okay? Now, if we stop for a second, we go, all right, why would any of us start to think this way? Yeah? Because you look at evidence all around. I didn't do well on this. I didn't do good on this. I... Yeah? Yeah? She's yeah. So much better than I did. It's so, so it's, I didn't do well enough, and then we start comparing. And not only that, if I'm going to ask you, because I, I, I was talking about this with a, with a wonderful single adult group on, on Saturday night. We just had a, a ball. And I asked them, let me ask you the same question. I want you to go back and remember the first time in your life when you really felt significantly humiliated or embarrassed. Think of that moment when you felt really embarrassed, really humiliated, really out of how old are you? If you start thinking those thoughts. Two days ago. <laughs> the first time. Usually teenage years. Teenage years? 12, 13? 13? Yeah. Uh-huh. Nine. Most of the time, I mean, a lot of times it will track younger, but almost always. If I if I if I ask that question of a hundred people, I'll bet you eighty percent of that would fall between about ten and about fifteen. Why? We're ugly. We're gangly. Either the puberty fairy is hit or it hasn't, and we're just not quite sure what to do with that. Either way, we're all. It's also that time when our image of ourselves is coming together. And we're really feeling awkward and out there, and, and the world really revolves around us, and everybody is looking at us. You know, we think those moments that you remember being. I remember being 13 and having this big ugly zit show up on my chin, and then knowing as I walked into sacrament meeting, there was mass horror. <laughs> everybody was like. Passing the sacrament with a zip that time. <laughs> you know, I mean, just 
you know, and I'm, I'm a guy, so I don't get to put pancake makeup over it because I figure try and cover that somehow, or big turtleneck. <laughs> but we have those, but, but in that moment, it's like, so if anything then happens, because uh, that, I've got that zit, and the girl that I kind of have a crush on isn't paying any attention to me, what does that say? I'm a loser. To the point that, you know, I used to think it was like God's punishment that every time I'd get ready for a big important day, I would have zits show up. I'd be punished. Or maybe it's because I was a little anxious and that was causing the acne breakout. I'm not going to put that together. All I know is that out of those experiences, we, we brand ourselves with who we are. And it sticks on our brain. And part of what sticks is then if I feel like I'm a loser or I'm broken, then track it through. Then I'm going to feel hopeless. I'm going to feel discouraged. Anything else? Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Ashamed. Ashamed. I don't match up. I don't compare. I can't compete. Now... If there's no offsetting thing going on there, and we allow that to seep in and really become part of us, then the next thing that, that if that's what I'm feeling, the next thing that's going to affect is what? Our choices, right? So from that, then I will make decisions, and they could be poor, like isolating, like overeating, like whatever it is that we might do to try and deal with that, okay? Alright, now the, here's the amazing part about this. I find this fascinating. Okay, so, if I, if I feel like I'm broken, and let's say that you come in and talk to a therapist or something, and you're saying, I'm really broken, and I'm a loser, and I will say, okay, what's your evidence for that? Prove to me, this is like a court of law. You've got to provide evidence and documents and, and proof that you're as broken a loser as you say you are. And what are you going to give me as evidence? Other people's thoughts. Other people's thoughts and? Dumb choices. Dumb choices you made. Haven't you got evidence? Oh, yeah. I did this and this and this and this and this. This is proof that I am that. But if you go back to that, that caused your choices. Does this make sense? The evidence that you're using to prove that you are this is the choices that you make based on that. Okay? That, so, I have proof, but it's proof that came from how I thought in the first place. And the amazing part about that was, these were oftentimes even though they don't like to admit it. Just how dumb is the human 13-year-old? <laughs> how, how narrow-minded, black and white thinking, all or nothing, bipolar, emotionally driven, hormonally mixed up, blinders in their eyes, following their peers instead of their parents because the parents are stupid and a 13-year-old with zits has more knowledge about the world than my mom does. 
How stupid are we at 13? That one is not a, that's a fact. Actually, we're just at that age, we're so incredibly immature that we can't, our perception is so off that we're missing by a country mile who we really are. It's like the bumper sticker that says, hire a teenager while they know everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hire a teenager while they still know everything. Okay? Now, here's the problem. It, the, the problem is when nothing comes along to offset that, or the, the accumulation of choices is, is bad enough, that it's not what you thought at 13, it's what you now think at 30 or 40 based on what you came to believe the deceptions about yourself at 13. So what's happening if at, you believe that at 13, you make dumb choices, you carry it to be 40, and now you're still, and so now I, I feel like I'm a loser, therefore I, I think I'm a loser, therefore I feel what? Discouraged, worthless, depressed, helpless stuff. So then what am I going to do? Make more choices. So even then, you can come back even if it was like two days ago, and come back and say, well, I think I'm a loser. Why? Do you have evidence? Yes. What I did last week. See? This is me. But if you begin to pull back and look at the whole thing, it started with a deception when you were 13 and really naive and hormonally driven with an undeveloped brain or as Bill Cosby says, basically brain damage. Okay, she says this is Satan's greatest time and gets and not just then, but at even at 30 and 40 and 50 and 80. Still believing that stuff. And what we're getting, that's part of why we're talking about this in this context. Okay? Because now we're set up. Yeah, go ahead, Wendy. Because he knows if he can stop us in our tracks, then we can't do the good that the Father wants us to do and affect thousands of other people in our lives for good. And isn't it, isn't it nice for him, for, for Satan's benefit, he had, if he's got that stuff from when you were younger, it's like saying, okay, you're doing too much good, time to reel her in. Ding! 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 Alright, so now, section 46, 7 and 8. Background on this. We talked about we talked about the fact that the people of Curtin were just were mixed up in terms of what the spirit was, how the spirit works. We were watching a lot of false spirits come in. You were watching a lot of bizarre Pentecostal-like stuff trying to duplicate this. And the Lord needed to educate them about gifts of the spirit. Okay? Who's got 46, 7, and 8? Okay, please. Let, you're going to know how to be led by the Spirit, 
He's now going to give us three things here, three ways in which we can end up believing falsely under the guise of the Spirit. There are three ways that we're going to get that, that we could be in trouble. And so, so read the first one there. Okay. Um, Start to seduce. Okay, stop. Here's the first one. Now, I know that when I, when I talk to you, when, when we conjure up the idea of an evil spirit, what do you picture with an evil spirit? Darkness, ugliness, overwhelming, okay? Evil spirit, okay? But listen to the word that he used on this. That you may not be what? Seduced. This is also this word is also used in uh, uh, Romans, I think, or First Timothy. Yeah, First Timothy, and the Greek word for seduce is deceive. So, if we're going to, how are you going to be deceived or seduced? Which I kind of like the word seduce better. Don't you understand the root of that? Deceive. Now, seduce. By an evil spirit. How are you how are you deceived or seduced? How does that work? First of all, it's by someone that you trust. Could be someone that you trust. Okay, yes. Okay. You're not going to be seduced by a stranger quite so much. Or not likely. Not, not as likely, yeah. It's not that they're hiding, it's like they're hiding or deceiving. Like they are this big evil thing, but they're going to present themselves as Is it going to be loud and obnoxious? No. This is the offset. Remember, Satan always has his opposite. There is the still small voice, and then what is his satanic opposite? Seduction by evil spirits. Because it's going to be quiet and gentle. You see why it is that the image of Satan is the snake. It's going to be. Think of the imagery of that. Slithering in, quietly, underneath things, and just putting it out there just a little bit. I said, seduced by evil spirits means that it will be a very quiet, subtle kind of thing. Okay? I'm going, I think I'm, I think I can draw right in this calling. It's a very subtle, real 
thing that goes on to continue to activate those experiences that we have in our life over and over and over. And we go from feeling happy to the next thing being discouraged. I've got a wonderful client of mine that will have good experiences and begin to see yourself differently in my office and within hours hours I will get a, I will get a text message are you mad at me and I think he's on the other side going I think you blew it I think he hates you and, and that's why I say I don't think it's just our brain doing this I've come to believe as I've been reading and preparing this week and really feel inspired about what I was reading, that sometimes it's a very active thing that is going on on the other side of the veil to try and convince you, and he's got actual things to punch on to, to tell you that. I have kind of a visual of that. In the temple video, Satan is always right next to them, bugging them, and he's oh, following yeah. everywhere they go. It's just, ah. I, I, I get that. You know, you can have that person in this world, okay? <laughs> I mean, you can have anything you want. We just don't see him, and he's really there. He really is there. And that, that's why it is, and I, I told you um, that one of the more, you know, maybe the goriest movie I've ever seen was The Passion of the Christ. Uh, and I tend to stay away from it already in the week, but I just end up watching that one, and and the first few minutes of that, to me, made the whole movie in terms of what it taught me about something. And I think I think he had it exactly right. And that's that moment you've got the Savior, and he's pleading and struggling in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you've got Satan over there going, "They don't deserve this. They're not gonna they're not gonna care about you. I don't know why you're going through this for them." And it's beautiful in the way that it's presented. You know, they just because I believe where in the universe would have saved the fan right at that moment. But right there, trying to do what he has always done. Yeah. Hey, there's times where I I just had negative thoughts just playing my brain. Oh, yeah. And I just finally would say, you know, get me behind me. Just leave me alone. And he would. I just had to break, you know, leave me alone. As I recognize this, the, the, the thing that I do similar to that is that when I'm feeling that influence, I've, I've had a lot of success with going, oh, wait a minute, I know what that is. And I'll go, nice try, fellow. <laughs> it's like, it just seems to break the whole thing. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> you know, nice job. I have thought of that one before. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> yeah. That's why I believe, but we talked about this, that's why I call these deceptions. 
They are deceptions, and then they're lies, they're seductive kind of things to teach you things that are not true. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're not. It's one thing if I am basically a righteous person who's made dumb mistakes. It's another thing if I am completely broken and worthless, and that's my whole identity. Okay? So, so that's why I think this first one, seduction by evil spirits, is, is so critical. And then part of the, 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 the next one is... Or doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Sometimes you're just out and out doctrines of devils. You know? And, it, it, and it, don't you find it fascinating that everything about uh, the pre-existence and about coming to this earth life and the war in heaven was fought over what? Agency. The ability to choose. And these days, if you're going to be a... Uh, if, if, if you are a feminist and you're going to protect the rights of women for abortion, your movement is called what? Pro-choice. And you can't take away abortion because you take away our freedom to choose. It goes to the heart of free agency. We're going to take what was noble and turn it into we're going to do something evil under the guise of what we fought for. That is an amazing kind of thing. And, if, and so then, then we have the pro-life movement, which now it's not politically correct to call it pro-life. That would be offensive to the pro-choice people. So now it's just called anti-abortion. They're against something. They're not about life, it's about being against a woman's right to choose. Yeah? I, I think the word heaven, I, we talk about it that way, and I agree. But I think it was fought because Satan wanted to use the power of Heavenly Father to do evil yeah. forever. And to build himself up. It was, it was his, it was beyond that. It was his desire to do ultimate evil with all the power of Heavenly Father. There's yeah. no way we could tolerate that. And not understanding, which is was so funny because with his intelligence, somehow having a blind spot here to not recognize that those powers could never be used and will never be used for evil. He, and that's why I say he never knew the mind of God. He didn't understand how that works. Well, that, that's not past us. Yeah. He continues to believe that yes. he will ultimately win. Yep. Yeah. He, he fights every single second for the minds of the saints because he knows if, if he believes in his totality that he will make it, he will become God. Okay, hold on. Put John Lennon behind Okay, we're just talking about this, right? Okay, here we go. Ready for this? First generation saint, right? So you were baptized. As a result of you being baptized, you converted your wife. Then is that influence? Then your brother joins, and your mom joins, and father. Okay. Now, without even talking about them, you had how many kids? Six. Six. How many grandkids? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. How many great-grandkids? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. You see it? What? Just by being able, one decision here. And you just watch this cascading effect. 
And then we look at the other side of this and go, one doctrine of the devil over here that says, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. And you just watch now the cascade on the other side of there. So this is a war and with high stakes. Okay? So, seduction by devils or by evil spirits, doctrines of devils, and as a result of that, now here's the third one, which is the commandments of men. Dictators, controllers. They're going to force you to, to believe these deceptions. Isn't that amazing? Now, you search yet? Because here, here comes, he's going to set it up so that you won't be deceived. Here's, here's how it works. Now, here comes the next verse, and, and this is where the solution lies. And this is, if, if you hear nothing else today, this is what I hope you walk away from today's class with. Okay, let's keep going. Next verse. Okay, beware that now. Now, let me stop there. There is, the other thing we're talking about in section 128 of Doctrine and Covenants, there's going to be, that we, have, that we have an incident cited in church history for which we have no history. In section 128, and we'll talk about it probably this time next year, uh, is going to be, um, Joseph's going to say, how great is all of these things that have happened in the voice of the of God in the chamber of Father Whitmer's farm and, and and the voice of Michael, Adam, on the banks of the Susquehanna River. Doing what? Detecting Satan when he appeared as an angel of light. And it took Michael, Adam, to come and say, nope, that wasn't him. This is not an angel of light. This is, he, this is the bad guy. The really bad guy. And it took Michael to do it. You remember that story? We ain't got it. Joseph, Joseph never told it. But it happened. And, he, and, and just in the light of everything else, we know that that experience is there. And it's similar to what happened, obviously, to Moses. Son of man worship me. I, I believe it's that kind of thing. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Many years ago at the Relief Society, they had a lesson pertaining to these things. And at that time, the teacher said that when you feel the influence of Satan, <coughs> you can, in the name of Jesus Christ, command him to leave you. Yeah. Yes. Well, and as you said, you can feel the, the presence of Satan. And if you can, once you recognize to know what you're feeling, you can command him to leave. I believe that this happened early enough in Joseph's experience that he didn't actually understand everything to know what it was that he was feeling. And so part of that's why I go back and I'm saying, look at this. If you're if you're wanting to know if you were being influenced by a deception by evil spirits, all you have to do is check what. How am I feeling? You're, as, a, as, a, as a holder, as a, a recipient of the gift of the Holy Ghost, you have an internal right to go, I've been feeling awful for three days. What deception have I been listening to? And it is a deception. 
You just ask your wife, Bob says. That's why we keep the better angels around us. Okay. All right. So here, so here, like I said, we're getting to the answer here. Okay. So that you're not deceived. Now what? And that he may not be deceived. Yeah. Seek ye earnestly the best gifts. Okay. First of all, seek ye earnestly the best gifts, and you're going to go. What's the best gift? This is going to be a different answer than the one I give when we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, where we have the same thing. And the answer is then 1 Corinthians 13, which is charity and the love of God. This is, a, this is going to be a different answer. Seek ye earnestly the best gift. In your life, what is the best gift? The Spirit. Okay, but which one of those is the best gift? Okay, we're, and we're about to take a look at all the gifts. Which one is the best gift? Comma. For you. The gift we're individually given. Yes. Specifically designed for you. In other words, you, your best gift is your gift. To do what? Offset your deceptions. That's where we're going. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to teach you from doing those four choices. Like, the choice is based on the lies. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's keep going. First eight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll come back here. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know. We'll switch paths. Okay. Uh, always remembering what or what they are given. No. Why are they given? To offset the deceptions, yeah. Because he just told you, so that you won't be deceived, you're going to seek earnestly the best gifts, remembering why they're given. Okay, now, now, I love this. Here comes verse 9. For verily I say unto you, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and what? Keep my commandments. No, my deception says I keep blowing things. I'm making mistakes. I'm, I know that they're not going to be intended for me. Read the next phrase. They are given for though all those who keep the, my commandments. And who else? Perfectionists. Listen up. This is your moment. And those who seek it so to do. Even if you ain't doing it all yet. This is for you. Yep. Uh, what I was going to say was yes, the, the atonement is a gift. Yes. Grace is a gift. Yes. Like when you said, well, what gifts? I thought conference was the, you know. Magnificent. Conference was a magnificent gift. Absolutely. If you don't watch conference, if you don't listen, read, study conference, you don't see. Yeah, that's right. And there's, and you know, like I don't want that much inspiration. People, I, I think too often we take that gift and we need some spiritual, spirituality, mystical thing. The gifts are the atonement, grace. Yeah. The gifts are the general authorities. The and and once we get those, that's what I'm saying. Once we get those. Now what you're going to find out is that there are specific 
gifts that will fit for you because he's, <coughs> he's going to say, <coughs> and seek is so to do that all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me that ask not for a sign that they may consume it upon their lusts. I say unto you that you should always remember and retain your minds these gifts that they're given unto the church. Now, 11. For all not have every gift given unto them, for there are many gifts, and to every man and woman is what? Given a gift. Here's the mistake we sometimes get made when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We think we're talking about talents. And this has nothing to do with I have no gifts because I can't play the piano. <laughs> or because I, I've never sung in church, therefore I have no gifts. This has nothing to do about talents. And whether you can play the flute. Pretty in sacrament. This has everything to do with gifts of the Spirit. Now, so he says all these gifts exist. And, and don't you find it fascinating? By the way, by the way, think how the Lord has done this. It's like I'm going to have a congregation of saints. I have this package of gifts that will bless the lives of the saints. What's He going to do with it? Scatter them. Why? Why not just like everybody gets every gift? Wouldn't that make them? Wouldn't that make them self-sufficient? Wouldn't that make them self-sustaining? Wouldn't that mean that you were self-reliant if you had every gift? We never learn charity. We never learn charity or humility. Why humility? Because you're going to have to ask for things from people who have the gift you need, and you ain't got it. How many of you are really, really, ladies especially, are really good at serving other people? And how hard is it for you to allow other people to serve you? Because then I'm not being reliant, I'm being selfish, I'm making it about me. And he says, I know that's why I gave other people gifts that you would need and you're going to have to go to them to get it. That's why he scattered it. going to do this? I think we're now at verse 9 after an hour. That's good. Okay, so in the end, can you imagine what happens here? We go back to this same format. What happens if you begin to understand? You accept grace, you accept the atonement, 
and you begin to understand, oh, for all of my weaknesses, he's given me gifts and he really does love me. Then what's the emotion? Gratitude. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you that the key to this whole thing and the key to rooting out the deceptions in your brain is gratitude. This is, it's like a magic bullet. And I'll show you why in a sec. Gratitude. And then, do we make better choices when we're grateful? Not humiliated, not all those kind of things, but grateful. Now, he's going to give us one more hint about how we do this. Okay? I want you to, want you to hop down to DNC 46. Just go down to verse 30. Somebody got 30? Okay. Thanks, Brad. Is it me? It, it would be you. He that asketh in the Spirit asketh according to the will of God. Wherefore it is done, even as he asketh. At this. Oh, okay. So what he's, what he's about to tell us here, uh, he's going to, at the end of all of this, he's going to reference 30. He that asketh in the Spirit, stop, what should we be asking for? If we have deceptions in our, in our brain that came because of our experiences that has been seduced, by doctrines of the devil, the evil spirit, and all of that, what should we be asking for? Yeah, yeah. Nephi was told, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. And it's so perfect. And, and if you look, I've actually put Romans 6, up, and I embedded this in my, in my scriptures. Romans 8, 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our what? Infirmities. We call it something else. Our weaknesses. We call it something else. Our deceptions. He's going to help that. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Joseph changed that to express. Okay, so let me kind of pull all this together. If you know that, if you go through periods of being miserable because you're listening to deceptions in your head and you're trying to pull up evidence to prove that you're broken or stupid or not as worthy as or unlovable or whatever that stuff is, and he, and he has designed spiritual gifts for you so that you won't be deceived. How do you access those? Let me come back then and have us... This is where I think we utilize the prayer of faith. Which is an interesting thing. The prayer of faith, how do you pray in faith... Uh, let me do a let me do a use Elder Oaks as an example. This can be a good, better best. Okay, okay, thank. Okay, and uh, by the way, I hesitate 
just for a second, but before I do that, let me just say, one of the things that we do not do in this, one of the things that makes this church unique is that we don't have a prayer liturgy. We don't have set prayers. So many of the churches, it's like, uh, sometimes you see them on the internet. You know, if you, if you are, uh, if your kids are struggling, use this prayer. Or here is your daily prayer to pray. You know, it's like this is, this is a really good prayer. It worked for 30 of my friends. It will work for you, and you will have something good come in your life in the next 30 days. Make sure you send it to everybody on your list, or you don't love Jesus. Yeah, I have an app for that. Yeah, I have. Who says iPhone has an app for that? I know that's true. I believe that. Yeah, have really effective prayers. So, um, I always hesitate when I'm going to try and put into words what a prayer might sound like. So I don't want you to take this in the spirit of pray this prayer exactly because it's, it's a personal communication between you and Heavenly Father. I want you to hear it in the spirit of this so it gives you a, a sense of what the difference is. That make sense? Okay? So I, I don't want to get emails from people using Brother Hinkley's prayer. <laughs> and then sending it to 50 of your in the next five minutes, or you'll break the link. Yeah, yeah and, and if you love Jesus. Anyway, okay. Good prayer. Heavenly Father, help me feel better about myself. Isn't that a good prayer? I don't like myself much. Let me feel better about myself. Good prayer, right? Anything wrong with that? Nothing. Okay? Can I suggest a better prayer? Heavenly Father, help me feel better about myself. Nevertheless, I will be done. I'm not sure how you're going to do it. Maybe you are. Yeah. Because this is a... Again, should I go ahead and suggest this so I get the same reaction from all of you? Anybody want to pray for patience? <laughs> or, yeah, you want to pray for... Lord, please grant me more humility. <laughs> I do that because I know what He'll do to me. Okay, okay. Thy will be done. Let this happen. Okay. Now, better prayer because we're acknowledging His will. Okay. Now, better prayer, best prayer. I think. Here's what I'd suggest. Where I think this is how I believe that we access the spiritual gifts that offset the deceptions. Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. I know you're anxious for me to feel better about myself and I'm grateful for the spiritual gifts you'll give me to help me feel better about myself. That, I believe, is the prayer of faith. Rather than, Heavenly Father, change my rebellious son's heart. I believe a prayer of faith is going to say, Heavenly Father, you love him more than I love him. I know that you're going to put things in his life that will help him change when he's ready. Thank you. What do I need to do? And if there's something I need to do in that process, please let me know what that is. Now, And when you pray, if this is a prayer of faith, what's the feeling behind that? 
gratitude. And I think that's when we walk to the gratitude door and we open up that and we put ourselves in the receiving place. Yeah. And yeah, and the only thing is we're mature, the only thing I'd add to that is like, I know that you're going to help me be awesome. Because there's a faith there that says, I know that you love me, and I know that you want me to feel better. I know you're going to do that. And that may be harder if we're saying, uh, help us, we're driving to Utah, help us to get safely there. What would happen to say, I know you're going to help us get safely there. I know that you're, this is going to be what you want it to be. Thank you. And by the way, if there's something that we need to do, help us to know what that is. Yeah. Dr. Bednar had a really good, as early as talking that Ensign in April, the Atonement, if you read it, and talks about our circumstances and how we pray. And as I read that, I thought about his talk, and even better, better for it would be to say, Heavenly Father, I know you love me. Help me to know what to do to make me feel better about myself. To get guidance on how to think. I'm grateful for the spiritual gifts you'll give me to help me feel better. And if there's something I should be praying for, help me to know what that is. Let me fill in the rest of that. Okay? Because, and let me, walk, let me tell you why I think this becomes important. Can you pray out of fear? Oh, absolutely. Fix it, change it, make it happen. Oh my gosh. It's got to happen right away. Make it occur. We can pray out of fear. We can pray out of fear. We can pray out of fear. How well do we listen when we're taking counsel from our fear. We don't hear anything at all. That's why I think we can pray to Him in fear. It sounds like a good prayer. Oh my gosh, fix this, change this, make it happen. And He's not answering me because I'm in a place of fear. What happens if we say, I know that you love me. Thank you for everything you've done for me. And I know that you're going to help me change my heart. Thank you. And if there's something I need to be doing, can you hear? When you walk through that gratitude door, now you're in a an attitude of receiving. How how much easier for that is for him to then put something in there and then say, I need you to then do this. Oh, okay, I can do that. Thank you. I mean that receptive mold. Yeah. And to me it just opens you up rather than just saying, Oh, I'm gonna follow this to happen. You say, I know you love me and it's, it just opens everything up and you're looking at options that you may not have looked at. How can I what is he sending out to me? Yeah. Because so that's what you always do. I know that you always do these kind of things. I know you're going to do it in the future. If there's something else here, I'm open. I'm wide open. My heart is open. I'm here. I just think so often when we reverse that and we're praying out of desperation, we're not hearing anything at all. And in fact, we have painted it into a corner. The only possible answer to this prayer is what I want immediately. Tomorrow. Today would be better, but I've got patience all the tomorrow. Okay? Alright. How are we doing so far? Okay. Hugh Nibley. Spiritual gifts. Gifts are spiritual. We can't conjure them up for ourselves. Uh, yes, that is St. Hugh Nibley. He's the patron saint of BYU. The Lord gives them, and He says He gives them. We must ask for them with real intent and honest heart. We can have them any gift. All those things are available. All we need to do is ask. But we must ask for them. And of course, 
If we ask not, we receive not. So if I'm, if I'm doing the prayer of faith, I know you love me. Thank you for the spiritual gifts I'm going to get. Will you know what to pray for? I think we're entitled at that moment to feel the inspiration to say, Heavenly Father, I feel that I should be praying for the gift of discernment. I really feel impressed I should be. And he'll tell us, that's what Paul's trying to tell us in Romans. You don't know what to pray for. But you will pray with the intent of your heart and the Spirit will make the intercession for you. And you'll be taught how to pray and what to pray for. Okay? All right. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to, this was really a good... you got to go back. There was a good discussion here. Oh, that really moved slow. Trying to suggest here that we have the, the ability of children of men that we, when we covenant with Heavenly Father, he, he always gives us endowments of power. And so, and one of those things happened when we were baptized and we received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We made certain promises. Orson Pratt says, whenever the Holy Ghost takes up his residence in a person, it not only cleanses, sanctifies, and purifies him, but also imparts to him some gift. Well, I don't have any gifts because I can't play the piano. Not about talent. Intended for the benefit of himself and others. No one, no one, no one who has been born of the Spirit and who remains sufficiently faithful is left destitute. Destitute of the spiritual gift. I was just thinking back, back to your trophy thing at the beginning. Sometimes as parents, just in the stages of life that I'm in, Time remaining. Um, let me just kind of put this out there. And I'll, I'm not going to. We won't do a lot on this. But what, what now follows in section 46 is a long list of spiritual gifts. And by the way, we have this in three places. <coughs> the Lord wants us to get something. He'll repeat it. We, we, can, we can find we can find similar lists in. This is section 46. Where else? Romans 10. 10. Where else? 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? There they are. So sometimes you put all these together, but I just think it's interesting in this context. 
Remember, he's going to give them the spiritual gift so that they'll know. Spiritual gift is not a matter of screaming and yelling and flipping out in the middle of sacrament meeting like they were doing in Kirtland. That is not, as fun as that might be, as exciting as that might be, here's the real spiritual gifts. But also, this is so you won't be deceived. Now, it is interesting to me that he writes these very carefully and they are done in couples or groups. They did, it's not just a straight up list. To some it is given this and to others it's given this. And you can see it as a couple. It's like a, it's like a Hebraic uh, Hebrew portrait <coughs> when it's always done in couples. So here's the couplets. To some it's given to know that Jesus is the Son of God. To others it's given to believe on their words so they might have eternal life if they continue faithful. Any questions that jump out of that one? Yeah, to some it's going to be given to know, and to others it's going to be given to believe on their words. I've, I've looked at this several different ways. I don't have a complete answer on that. Um, one of the brethren that I read said, one of the ways that this is most expressly happens is that the first one is the apostles, and the rest of us believing in the apostles who really know Which one am I? And it was interesting because it, it took a little while, but um, I was directed to my great triple blessing. And in my great triple blessing, it, it says distinctly, and I had never interpreted it that way until I was looking to answer that question. That that you're the, one of those notes. Yes. Okay. Cool. See, because that's that's where my tendency goes. I get that it works on the level of the apostles, but everything else that I've read said that this is this is also more. These are gifts that come over time. So maybe our initial gift as children, as new converts, or sometimes people, is to come into the church and our gift to the Spirit that we're given in our baptism is to believe on the missionaries, to believe on people in our midst that know. And I will trust that. And that the, the, that the other gift will be given as we spiritually mature and I'll have a deeper knowledge over time. Yeah. I, I think it goes principle by principle. I think some things I do because... I'm told in the scriptures and I'm told by my leaders to do it, but I don't have per, a personal faith testimony. I do it because I believe in their words. Yep. Other things, I believe I'm on 13 and 14. So I think my life is more like a big chart, 13 and, you know, principles, and then check marks here, here, here. Ah. Okay, I like that. I like that. Okay, here's the next set. Two interesting ones here. To some it's given by the gift of the Holy Ghost to know the differences of administration and the diversities of operations. So which one are you? The administration kind or the diversity of operation kind? <laughs> I know. This one isn't quite as fun as heal or be healed, right? It kind of sounds like talkers and doers. It's a little bit like talkers and doers. Yeah. And I think this has a lot to do more with uh, those in leadership positions where there's going to be a diversity of administration. And, and some leaders are very good at organizational skills. Uh, I'm always, it's always a joy for me to sit at the feet of uh, President Wiley. 
Because I just watch in a very loving, gentle way. He organizes things, but it's never dictatorial. And it's never, I mean, just kind of cram this down your throat. And, and President Wiley never comes off as, I'm gonna, I want you to think I'm the smartest guy in the room. He really is. But it's really based on, I love the people in the state. I love the people on this high council. My, I'm sorry, state president. And he's always going to say, I want, your, I want to hear from you what you think. And he just has this beautiful gift of making sure that we're all on the same page before we move ahead with, with what needs to happen. Beautifully done in how he does it. Okay? I don't know that I would be as patient as he is. I don't have that gift. I would just say, this is really, let's just do it. Trust me, it'll be good. <laughs> and, and he just does that. Okay? Yeah. I think this is I think this is like what calling do you have in the church? Yeah. And what what spiritual gifts do you need to fill that? For that and sometimes I think it, the spiritual gifts show up based on that calling. Exactly. Okay? Now, the other one? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Do you know people that are in, in the church that are smart? Do you know people in the church that are wise? Have you ever been? Cindy, you can tell me later if I. Too far down the road. Have you ever sat in a gospel doctrine class with the smartest guy in the room? Who knows all the answers, but. There seems to be the spiritual gift of wisdom is just not here. He knows lots of stuff, but the application of it. And by the same token, you know what we have? Uh, I, I, I was in a quorum once, and we had we had a uh, we had a lot of smart guys, a lot of well scriptured guys in our quorum, and we would have this in depth conversation. And I'm saying, yes, and Peter, you're <laughs> And we had this guy that had just grown up like dirt poor, you know. And he'd go, well, I don't know about all that. All I know is this. And it would just be real. He'd just go, you know, all I know is that when I spit in the wind, bad things happen. <laughs> I don't know where that is in the scriptures, but every time I spit in the wind, it's bad. <laughs> and the conversation's like, well, nobody can talk that. <laughs> <laughs> and All right. Okay, and again, some have the faith to be healed. Some have the faith to heal. Okay. To some is given the working of miracle. Now, here's the one that I found fascinating. Everything's in couplets. These three are together. I'm just gonna this this can be something if, if you just want to study something. Try and study why these last three are grouped together because I don't know. I really don't know why it is. The working of miracles, to others given to prophesy, and to others the discerning of spirits. 
I think that's fascinating. Don't, there's something, this is one of those things where I, my, my, something goes off in my head and says, I'm looking at something, I don't know what it is. I don't yet know what it is. You guys can figure it out. Finally, again is given to some to speak with tongues, and to another is given the interpretation of tongues. Now, can I just repeat something that I've repeated before back when we were talking about 2 Nephi 31? Because I think one level of this talks about learning languages, being able to speak with tongues. I believe, though, and, and, and tell you what, let's do this. To finish up, let's go back, as all of us, let's go back to uh, 2 Nephi 31. Because uh, it strikes me this is really a good place for us to end on this discussion. Verse 13. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, we're able to clear those deceptions out, but with real intent, repenting of your sins on a regular basis, witnessing unto the Father that you're willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, following your Lord and your Savior down into the water according to His word, Behold, then shall ye receive the Holy Ghost. And, we, and what we know is, is that if we have the gift of the Holy Ghost, we will then also be given a gift specific to us. And then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. And if you do all these things, then can you speak with what? The tongue of angels. Brothers and sisters, I believe that the greatest gift we receive, the gift of tongues, comes to us as we put ourselves in a place of gratitude and thankfulness, and He will fill us with this gift, and it is the gift of the tongue of angels. We will hear ourselves saying to our kids, to people around us, to people in our callings, things that are beyond us, that are outside of our knowledge and understanding. As missionaries, you're lifted above yourself to say, have things come into your head and your heart right at the right moment. How cool is that? That is the gift of tongues. You go, well, I went to an English-speaking... No, you're speaking with the gift of tongues all the time on a regular basis. Because you can now speak with and that's why he says, I'll be around you, I'll bear you up. And if you're listening to the tongue of angels, what are you not listening to? The deceptions that come from the seductions of evil spirits. That's our goal. I pray that we can do this. It's our, it's our blessing and our gratitude to be able to do it. And if we will pray for those things, he will grant those to us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's start making a big old
Amen.